Hello, everyone, and welcome back again to the Promise Perspective podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Green, and I'm also the founder and owner of the Promise Perspective. If you are listening in today, um, I would just want to welcome you. Um, thank you. And I hope to fill your cup today with truth and encouragement um, on today's episode. Yeah, this episode is titled, Why Words Matter. And um, I want to share a verse with you because this is something that is just, it's really interesting to me. And I don't know, I just want to share this with you just to kind of kick off this episode because as I read this verse, I'm, you know, I'm thinking to myself, what, you know, what is this going to look like? So it's in Zephaniah chapter three, verse nine. And it says, it says for them, will I turn to the people a pure language that they may call upon the name of Yahuwah to serve him with one consent. The Hebrew language is often referred to as Lashon HaKodesh. And basically what that means is <clears throat> a holy tongue. Um, you know, before Yahuwah confounded the languages at the, the Tower of Babel, Everybody spoke the same language. Um, so when the scripture tells us that he will, you know, turn back to a pure language, we have to think that the only pure language that there could have been was the original, you know, Hebrew language. Now, with that being said, I I can't tell you for sure what this verse means. Um because it's referring to his millennial kingdom. He's, it's referring to when our Messiah comes back and he's telling us, um, he's telling us what he's going to do. And we know that this is, um, related to his second coming because the verse before that, um, talks about that, like the end of it says for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. And and it says, for then I will turn to the people, a pure language. We're going to return to a pure language. What does that mean? I, I don't know for sure, but it's, it's very, I wanted to point that out because it, it has a lot to do with today's episode, um, of why words matter. And, uh, so a couple episodes ago, I had talked of the label titled or the episode titled why labels are dangerous. Um, I want, I had to do that episode first because when you start to talk about, you know, biblical history in any way, shape or form, there's this label of, you know, that, that people continue to use called Hebrew roots, Hebrew roots movement. And that's, that's usually the first thing people throw out there. Um, and what's dangerous about that is that instead of trying to understand what, where that person is coming from, when you put a label on their teaching, it automatically categorizes someone so you can feel justified in your assumption about them. And because most Christian sources claim that the Hebrew roots movement label is dangerous um, people automatically feel justified in dismissing any attempt that that person makes to 
try to examine their faith, evaluate doctrines, and even try to put the history in context for the purpose of increasing understanding. Um, There are many biblical truths that I want to discuss and I want to get to. I have been wanting to talk about the prophets Hosea and Joel for months, but every time I sit down to prepare for that, the father leads me in a different direction. Um, And I believe there is a lot more ground that needs to be covered before I can discuss certain points. um, If that makes any sense, because the way that the way that I create podcast episodes um, is not designed really to be like a la carte. Um, Yah has had me be very intentional in the order of my episodes and my eBooks um, because, and this is just my personal opinion, but there's just so much context that we need. Um, there's so much context that needs to be learned in order to rebuild some of these foundations that we've missed out on for so long. I think, I think many of you would agree with me when I say like, we, we talk a lot about unlearning and relearning. Um, the relearning is, is necessary because during the unlearning process, you, you know, you, you realize that your foundation wasn't as firm as you once believed. And, um, so the relearning is it's a very um what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a very intense, I guess, process. Um but you know, there's just there's just a lot of things that 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 the body needs and um a lot of history is involved in able to understand how Things have not, I'm not even going to say like we've missed out on it. We haven't really missed out. These things have been hidden. These things have been hijacked. And this boils down to a couple things. Um, The translations that we have inherited, they have many discrepancies in, in the words being used that we need to examine and dissect. And that's the purpose of this episode. Um, and, you know, there are major events that have happened throughout history that have literally shaped the doctrines that have translated our scriptures into what we have today. And that's the purpose of the next episode um, and the beginning of season four of, of Who is Israel? Um, you know, along with studying scripture. Um, by studying history and events and people and things that have happened, um, it helps to help us better understand this, the strong delusion and this massive deception that people are starting to expose right now. And honestly, after all of this was exposed to me, as I started to unlearn and relearn, that is what made me turn to the father and 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 run to him as hard as I could 
And I think that's kind of how it works. Once you see, once those veils come off, and once you see how evil this world truly is, once you see how the God of this world has blinded the minds of people, you will understand how desperately you need protection from it and how desperate you want to be separate from this world. Um, you will see that it's not the unbelievers that are deceived. It's our very own brothers and sisters who have been deceived. It says that Satan deceives the whole world. And the thing is that as believers, we must understand um, that the deception, it's not about those who are lost. Deception is about manipulating the minds of believers into sincerely believing something is scriptural and truth when it's actually not. And this is the issue we have today. Um, and you'll hear me talk about these verses often because um, the, these really, these, these verses, they're kind of the same verses because they're both in Jeremiah, but these verses are, they just speak so much to the season that we're in right now. But Jeremiah chapter one, verse 10 says, see, I have this day. Um, Yahoo was talking to Jeremiah. He said, see, I have this day set, um, set over you. See, sorry. I have this day. I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And then if you flip to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 28, he, re he says the same thing. He says, and it shall come to pass. And see, here's the thing too. This is where I made the connection because um, I don't know if you, whoever's listening, you, you may not be familiar with this promise of the new covenant that was given to us by the prophet Jeremiah and is, is starting to be fulfilled, which is that he will write his laws, his commandments on our hearts and in our minds. Um, and this is what has, you know, has started ha to happen on a much larger scale. Um, I, you know, I would say, you know, I'm very new to this, but over the last 20 years, maybe some, you know, but anyway, so, um, and it says in Jeremiah chapter one, chapter 31, verse 28, it says, and it shall come to pass that like, as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy, to afflict. So I will watch over them to build <laughs> and to plant says Yahuwah. So, you know, in whenever scripture repeats itself, we need to pay attention. If there are, if there are two places in scripture that say the same thing, it's worthy of our attention. And, you know, there's a lot of building and planning that that we need as a body, but I think that this is just, you know, personally where I'm feeling led. I don't know about others, but I'm in a I'm in that throwdown, destroy, uproot, breakdown. Like that's that's where I'm at right now because 
and I've explained this a lot, so I'm not going to go into it. Um, I've explained it in other episodes, but like, there's so much that I want to build and I want to plant right now in people's hearts. There's so much I want to share. I'm just bursting to share. But as I mentioned in, uh, oh gosh, I feel like I've talked about it so much. I don't know what episode now, but I've mentioned it several, several times, but laboring for the harvest is not just about planting seeds. It's about preparing the soil. And I believe that there are so many lies and so many traditions and so much false teaching that has to be torn down and demolished (laughs) before we can plant anything. You know, we have to be like Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 says, break up your fallow ground. Break up the fallow ground first. Break up that hardened, cloddy soil. And many people won't. That's what's challenging about it is that um, it's that, you know, many people don't want to, they don't want to go through this process. But anyway, you know, but if we don't break up this hardened, cloddy soil, if we don't till that dirt and get uncomfortable in our search for the truth, um, if we don't tend to the soil, the seeds won't have room to grow. They won't have room to take root. And I'll tell you what, the enemy will use Yah's word against you if you're not careful. Because I have really wrestled with where I'm at in my ministry because I feel like, you know, I feel like all I'm doing <laughs> like is is bursting bubbles and raining on people's parade. And like, I feel like a bull in a china shop. And which honestly, I kind of am. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to tear down every single stronghold and lie that has made, that has created this veil that Satan has blinded our minds with. And the enemy has been seriously trying to deter me from talking about this too. And he uses people to do it. Planning these thoughts like you're being too harsh, you're doing too much, you're taking this too far. But, you know, at the same time, that gentle, still loving voice continues to sustain me. And it honestly keeps me in a state of brokenness as I talk about these things, because everything I do comes from a place of love. Um, And it makes me so sad that people really don't see that. But that's not my control. And, you know, we have to carry on. So that maybe that will help somebody else who who might might be feeling the same way. So if if it looks like all I'm doing is destroying all of the China in the China shop, <laughs> um, if it looks like all I'm doing is tearing down, rooting out, destroying and throwing down, it's because Jeremiah chapter one, verse 10 is being so heavily impressed on my heart and is leading me to, <laughs> it's leading me to do so. Um, and like I said, I have so much that I want to plant, but Yahoo is just not leading me to, to plant just yet. He's leading me to dig up that dirt and break up that fallow ground, you know? Okay. So why? Words 
matter. And when I say why words matter, I'm, I'm, for the purposes of this episode, I'm not talking about like the words we speak to others. I'm not talking about like words that speak life or death over somebody. I'm not talking about like the power of the tongue. I'm, that's a, a good subject, but not the purpose of this particular podcast episode. Um, I'm talking about the the actual words in our Bibles today. Um, Jeremiah chapter eight, verse eight says, it says, how can you say we are wise for we have the law of Yahuwah when actually the lying pen of the scribes have handled it falsely. Um, every time I read that verse, I'm like, oh my goodness. It just, oh, it's so good. But you know, while there is no perfect translation of our Bibles, there's no perfect translation. The issue is not the validity of scripture. Okay. The issue is how the scriptures have been handled. Um, in some much earlier episodes, I talked about how the father's name, how, how his name has been removed from our Bibles, as well as our Messiah's name. And I, I cannot express how important it is that we know their names. It is so important that our own salvation depends on it. I know that sounds extreme, but this change alone has led to so many beliefs and doctrines that are rooted in falsehood, all because the scribes have mishandled the scriptures. This is completely the work of the enemy. So going back to Jeremiah chapter eight, verse eight, think about what this verse means today. Like I think of the way people would say, like, because people are telling Jeremiah, how can you say, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah is telling the people, how can you say we are wise? We have the word of Yahuwah. People say we, we have the word of God today. And then, and then he says, but actually the lying pen of the scribes have been handling it falsely. This is the same issue that is, you know, among us today, but The good news is that there's a prophecy that is coming alive and unfolding today. And you can find it in Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19 and chapter 16, verse 21. And I want to read them to you. Um, Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19 says, The Gentiles, which means the nations, shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies worthlessness and unprofitable things. And this is the declaration of today. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 21. Therefore, I will teach them. This time I will teach them my power and might. Then they will know that my name is Yahuwah. Mm. Oh my goodness. Like, does that not... Oh gosh, I just get so excited. This makes me so excited because when you actually start to study the original words 
in which the scripture was written, when you when when you start to study these Hebrew words, you will quickly learn that every place in which you see the words Lord in all capital letters are those are places where the tetragrammaton for the Paleo Hebrew letters YHWH used to be. And I cover this in depth in my What is God's Name ebook. So I'm not going to go back through all of that history. We know that it is a tradition of Judaism, of the belief that Yahuwah's name is too holy to be pronounced. So they believe the way that they interpret not breaking the third commandment means not saying it at all. And, and honestly, the translations of the scripture we have today is a reflection of that, that belief in that doctrine. It's called the ineffable name doctrine. Because when the scribes translated our Bibles into English, this same Jewish tradition continued on. You know, that that is part of taking away from the Father's word, um, which we're forbidden to do. Not to mention the amount of times. I wish I, I wish I had could figure out how to calculate how many times in the Bible he tells us to call on his name because he does multiple times call his on his name, praise his name, glorify his name, magnify his name, sing to his name. It's just his name is important. And I cover in that same ebook that's free on my website. If, if you're new to this podcast, um, the link is, um, if you go, I have my website in my episode description box. So if you go to the website, you can find all of my PDF ebooks for free. Um, but anyway, I cover a lot of history in that book up until the common era about how these changes happened and these, and how these changes happened as a result of the Babylonian captivity. We, when we take a closer look at the tetragram, tetragrammaton, tetragram is a shorter word for that, but the YHWH, when we take a closer look at the tetragram and the translations that actually preserved the father's name in the paleo Hebrew, we see which paleo just means ancient because as I've talked about in, in my ebook, um, during the Babylonian captivity is when the Hebrew language was modernized and started. That was the beginning of changes. And, but anyway, uh, where was I at? When we, when we take a look at, oh, those translations that, that actually, because there were some translations that still preserved the father's name. We see that it was preserved even up until the first century of our common era. We see that his name was guarded, even though the translators did not speak the ancient Hebrew language. They still guarded his name. Um, so let's take a look at some examples. So I'll be using an article from the Journal of Biblical Literature titled The Tetragram and the New Testament, 
by George Howard. I'll sort the site. I'll cite the source in the podcast episode description. Highly encourage you to read. It's a heavy read, but it is really good. But and it says, this is example number one. It says, in 1966, a transcription of the entire manuscript of Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 28 through 32, verse 7, was produced by Francois Dunand in the first or second century BCE, before Common Era. The significance of this manuscript is that instead of using Carillos, which in the Christian codices stands for the divine name, Yahuwah, it writes the tetragram in Aramaic letters within the Greek text itself. Aramaic letters meaning um, modern Hebrew. That's the language used today is the modern Hebrew language. Um, okay, example number two. In 1952, fragments of a scroll of the 12 prophets in Greek were found in a cave in Nahal Hever in the Judean desert. Ten years later, it was published with a full analysis of the text and the place that it holds in the transmission history of the Septuagint. The dates of the manuscript are ascribed to 50 BCE and 50 AD, or Common Era. The manuscript is distinguished for its closeness to the Masoretic text against the Christian manuscripts of the LXX, which means Septuagint, and for its preservation of the tetragram where Christian codices employ the word kaidios, which is Greek for Lord. So we have, and it says it writes the tetragram. This is crazy. It writes the tetragram, not in Aramaic letters, but in Paleo-Hebrew letters. So we see that his name in Paleo-Hebrew was being preserved in the first century of our common era. Kaidios is the word that replaced it in Greek. So catch that. Even when our Messiah was walking the earth, the Paleo-Hebrew letters were still being employed in some way, shape, or form. Example number three. In 1897, F.C. Burkitt published some fragments from the Book of Kings. Kings used to be one book rather than two separate books. Uh, from the Book of Kings that was translated from Hebrew to Greek. These fragments clearly show that the Hebrew tetragram, in this case the Paleo-Hebrew script, was retained. Howard says, the author, he says that from these findings, we can now say with almost absolute certainty that the divine name, Yahuwah, which he uses the YHWH in his text, we can, with almost absolute, absolute certainty that the divine name, Yahuwah, was not rendered by Kairios in the pre-Christian Greek Bible, as so often has been thought. Usually, the tetragram was written out in Aramaic or in Paleo-Hebrew letters or was translated into Greek letters. At a later time, surrogates replaced the tetragram. And the first surrogates, as we will see, were Theos and Kairios. So Theos is the word prescribed for God that we have in our Bible today. And Kairios is, was used for Lord. I highly encourage you all to read that article because 
there is so much understanding that can be gained from it. it. I mean, it totally opened my eyes to so much historical context. Um, but the key point that I want to drive home here is that based on historical evidence and recently discovered manuscripts is that in the pre-Christian Greek manuscripts of the Old Testament, Yahuwah's name does not appear in the form of Kaidios, which was the Greek word for Lord, as it does in many of the codices of the Septuagint known today. The divine name commonly appears in the form of the Hebrew tetragram, written in Aramaic, modern Hebrew, or Paleo-Hebrew, which is ancient Hebrew letters, or in the transliterated form of the Greek letters Iota, Alpha, and Upsilon, which those were the Greek letters that they used to attempt to retain the pronunciation of the Hebrew name Yahuwah. The coin Greek were the letters, so Iota, Alpha, Upsilon, which would mean, now, I'm not a Greek expert, but you can, you can somewhat see how that attempt to transli- transliterate, the, which transliterate and translate are two totally different things. Transliterate is, is done so in a way that tries to retain pronunciation as much as possible. Um, so like, for example, Jeremiah in our Bibles today, the Hebrew word for his name is Yahu. So that's a transliteration. We And we have... Um, let me see if I can find some other words. Um, like, so we can see how Jeremiah kind of sounds similar. We can see that there's an attempt to retain that pronunciation. Um, we have Obadiah and in Hebrew it's Ovayahu. Okay. Let's see another one. Um, Matthew. Matthew's name in Hebrew, Matith, Matith Yahu. Notice how there's Yahu in a, that's just a couple. There's a Yah's name intertwined in a lot of other names, but I'm not getting into that, all that. But you see how the, those names were transliterated? So we see an attempt to retain pronunciation with many of the names in scripture. Yet when it comes to Yahuwah and Yahusha, or some people pronounce it Yahshua, we see that there's that doesn't happen with those names. The two most important names in the entire history and world were not given that same consideration. That should be a red flag. Instead, they were t- they were surrogated with the word Theos and Kaidios. So. But the, like I was saying, the Koine Greek, those letters, Iota, Alpha, Upsilon, which would mean that the attempt to translate, transliterate the father's name would have been pronounced something similar to Yahu, Iahu. And, you know, so just important for you all to know, the practice of writing the Hebrew tetragram in the Greek text was very common before copies began to be produced by Christians. The most 
significant understanding that we can come to with these examples is that, you know, although the scriptures were being translated into different languages, the usage of the father's name was still held to be very sacred, you know? And it says in that same article on page 72, it says the protection of the tetragram was extended even to the Greek translation of the biblical text, though for some reason not to the Aramaic Targum. And I want to encourage you to look into the history of the Aramaic Targum and the Greek, the Greek Septuagint. These are some of the earliest manuscripts of the translations of scriptures. The Aramaic and modern Hebrew language are very similar in alphabet characters. And in my book, I talked about the difference between ancient and modern Hebrew. And because the, the Aramaic language became more widely used after the Babylonian captivity. This is a, that was the Babylonian captivity was a monumental point in time because it, it's the beginning of the modernization of the Hebrew language. And like I said earlier, this is where Judaism was born. And the reason that we refer to Judaism as a quote-unquote Jewish religion is because when the people returned to rebuild the temple in in the land of Israel after the Persians conquered the Babylonians, the Jews, which the correct word is Yahudim. And be, they were called Yahudim because they were from the tribe of Yahudah, Judah. So we th- these are some also really important terms to understand because they, they weren't called Jews at that time. The J didn't even exist until the 1500s. They were, the, the correct word is Yahudim. But they were the only, the reason people refer to Judaism as a Jewish religion is because they were the only group of people still keeping the commandments. Um, so the people think today that those who keep the commandments is it's a Jewish thing. I'm trying to be clear on how I say this, but The only reason for that terminology is because out of all of the 12 tribes that were scattered, they were the only group of people still keeping those commandments and attempting to preserve their faith in the Most High. We know that the other tribe, Benjamin, was among the tribe of Judah, but the other 10 tribes had been dispersed and and were never officially, they never officially returned back to that land the way that the Yahudim did. Why? Because there was a lineage that had to be preserved because that is where our Messiah, that through the tribe of Judah is where our Messiah would be born. So it's important to keep in mind that the tribe of Judah, they were the only ones who returned officially as a group, as a, as a tribe to Israel. Now, this brings up some food for thought, and this is something that I'm building up on my podcast to get to specifically next season, which actually starts 
on the December 7th. But we talk about the Jews as being Yah's chosen people. So we hear that's what we're told, that's what we're taught. It seems that all mainstream Christianity talks about the Jews being restored to the promised land. But Bible prophecy is not about just the descendants of one of those tribes. The restoration that is promised to us, that we're still waiting to be fulfilled, it's about all 12 tribes. The Yahudim, Jews, they're just one of the 12. They're, the promise is made to the whole house of Israel. And we know that um, before they were exiled to Babylon, we know that um, the, the whole entire nation of Israel was separated into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel and southern kingdom of Judah. So you can you have to be careful in scriptures because sometimes it's referring to just the northern kingdom. Sometimes it's referring to the entire nation. Because both are true. Both are Israel. And and the another thing that I feel him Yahweh building up in my ministry is to discuss about his covenant with his people and actually doing a little bit more dissecting on the histories of these of certain groups of people but you know the covenant is so important we must understand why he divorced israel jeremiah chapter we're in jeremiah heavy today jeremiah chapter 3 verse 8 says you know he's talking about israel being unfaithful to him he said when i and what i saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery. I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not and went and played the harlot also. So we see that we need to understand. This is a big piece of our understanding that I think that we have missed is that Yahweh divorced Israel. And there's some serious truths that we need to unpack with this and the purpose of what our Messiah came to do. So I I can't, I don't want to get off topic. That's not the point of this episode. I actually plan to get into it in season four. Like I've, I think that's, I'm going to be covering that in like episode four or something like that. So, so anyway, table that to another time. But anyway, if you've read my ebook on what is God's name, then you know that the Christian codices that we, the translations that we have today, as they began to translate from the Septuagint, the Greek text, the word theos was meant to replace the word Elohim, which is what we get, where we get God today. And the word kadios was used in place of either the name, check this out, it was used in place of either the name of our Heavenly Father or to replace the word Adon in Hebrew. Adon in Hebrew means master. So what has happened is that it has cre- it, it created confusion in the minds of early Gentile believers because if kairios was used, if this word was used 
to replace both Yahuwah's name and a descriptive title to describe both the Father and the Son, then when we prescribe these titles, like Kaidios, to an actual name, it makes things confusing because we don't know, we can't know whether or not it was referring to the name of our father or as a replacement for the word Adon. So I hope that's making sense because when we say the word Lord, when we say Lord, and, and I've talked about this in deep detail in my ebook, like the word Lord is used so differently in our modern translations today because Lord can mean a person and it can mean the most high because he is our master. He is Lord of Lords. However, it's blurred the lines because Yahusha, Jesus, Yahusha, Jesus is not his name, is our Lord and master over our lives. Okay. But he's not the father. Yes, they are one in spirit and in mind. But if we had preserved the tetragram like we were supposed to, we would understand the distinction between the father and the son. There is a distinction between those two, especially when you understand that the Messiah's name literally means Yahuwah is salvation. There's a distinction that needs to be made between the father and the son. Because many people say, God is Jesus. Jesus is God. Yes, that's true too. But it, in what sense? Like, what do you mean by that? Because God, by definition, Elohim, it simply means mighty one. That's what an, that's what an Elohim is in scripture. That's why you will see Elohim being referred to as Yahuwah. You will see Elohim being referred to as false gods. I hope that's making sense. I'm trying. If it's a little bit confusing, it's okay. I'm trying to explain to you what's happened when they replaced these, the tetragram with Kaidios. And then they also used Kaidios to use as a title to describe both the father and the son. So in the minds of the translators, how did they know which, how did they know if they were talking about Yahuwah? Or Yahusha. That's important. It's important for us to know. When we get to the Christian codices of the Septuagint, which the Christian codices were popularized by early Christians in the second century of common era. (coughs) Excuse me. When we get to the Christian copies of the Greek text, starting in around the second century of our common era, The tetragram is gone. It's gone. And instead, and this this is what just (laughs) kind of drives me nuts. But so instead, we see these words, kairios, and occasionally we'll see the word theos. We see that these words stood for the divine name, which would later be translated in abbreviated form and be given the title nomina sacra which means sacred names. So you see, they like <laughs> the normal practice. So 
the normal practice for translating the Bible up until the second century was for the Father's name. The, the, you could translate the scripture and these texts in any language you want, but what they did was that they would, the normal practice for translating the Father's name was that they would keep it in the Paleo-Hebrew or modern Hebrew letters. That was their attempt to uphold his holy name and retain the pronunciation. For whatever reason, there became a lacking motive of retaining the Hebrew name for Yahuwah. And the words Kaidios and Theos became used for the tetragram instead. So we see that this was not, people say, well, they translated it. There's different translations. They did not, they did not transliterate. They did not translate. They replaced it. This is a replacement of his name. You know, and then these words, Kaidios and Theos, you can look, you can look this up. These have the title now of quote unquote nomina sacra, sacred names. These are no sacred names. <laughs> These aren't names at all. And the reason that I'm going into detail on this is because th- this is an issue today because we can see how this has affected our theology unknowingly. In passages, and I also think that, you know, it was Jewish tradition not to say his name. It was, it, it, I don't think this is something that they still do today, but it would be an offense punishable by stoning if you attempted to say Yahuwah's name. Um, Like I said, I don't think that that's, that was a, a, you know, that was a, a heavy punishment. That was a, I don't know how, how often that happened, but um, that doctrine, that ineffable name doctrine that, you know, made it to where the Yahudim, the Jews who returned back to that land, they didn't want people to say it. That could have been an influence on how these words also got changed, it, you know. So they might have preserved the tetragram, but. It's clear that by Jewish tradition, they do not believe that they you're not to pronounce the father's name. That's taking it in vain. That's breaking the third commandment as they that's what they say um, in attempting to pronounce his name. They say it's too holy to be pronounced. We shouldn't do it. That may have influenced why these words were replaced. I don't know. That's just a guess. Um but anyway, nonetheless, this is an issue, and and it's affected our theology today. It really has. And I can only speak for myself, but knowing the Father's name, you know, th- this is why I, I tell people, you know, we might not have the pronunciation 100% perfect, okay? Because so, I know some people pronounce it Yahweh or Yahweh or, you know, I, I believe the pronunciation is Yahuwah, but I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. This, 
just understanding his name and seeing it restored in scripture, which I highly encourage you to, to purchase a restored copy. Um, like I said, there's not a perfect translation, but just knowing that his name was removed and knowing that Yahuwah is the best that I can get to pronounce it, pronouncing it and calling on his name, just knowing his name is such a blessing. It's such a blessing. It has given me so much understanding. And and the I think I'm going to get to this later, so I'm just going to hold off on this point. Um, but, you know, here's the thing, too. Going back to how this has impacted our theology. Um, in passages where, and I'm going to give you an example. In passages where Yahuwah, talking about the Father, and Christ, talking about the Son, in passages where these two were were clearly distinguishable, the removal of the tetragram created this undeniable ambiguity. And it had to have created confusion in the minds of the scribes as to which one was being referred to in the passage. And once the con- once this confusion was caused by the change in the divine name, that same confusion spread to other parts of the New Testament. For example, Joel chapter 2 Verse 32 says, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we know this is so here we go. The this is if you read it in your Bible, you'll see that Lord is capitalized. Each letter is capitalized. L-O-R-D. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the original word that was used in the Old Testament was Yahuwah. It did not, the Old Testament never used the word Lord. So it, Joel chapter two, verse 32 should be read. Whoever calls, whoever shall call on the name of Yahuwah will be saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, we know that Paul is clearly quoting from Joel chapter two, verse 32. So Paul spoke Hebrew Paul was previously a Pharisee. Um, so it makes, so when Paul is quoting that scripture, knowing Paul's background, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew. Like, it makes no sense for him to use any other word except Yahuwah's literal name. You know? And I believe that this has damaged our understanding more than most Christians would like to admit. And, you know, the thing too, and I've already talked about this, but our Messiah said he came in his father's name and we are able to come to the father through him based on the atonement that was paid through his sacrifice. The father gave us his word. He gave us his word manifested as flesh his torah his torah was you know put on skin and bones it put on flesh he gave us his word literal his word as flesh yahusha to save us yahusha said i am the door he said by me if any man enter it he shall be saved 
John chapter 10, verse 9. You see, there had to be a sacrifice made for us to have access to the Father. It says he is the door. Isn't there a verse where it talks about I'm the gate? He's the gate. He says, enter in through the narrow gate. When he come, when we come to him in his son's name, Yahusha, it's like we have access to open the door and be in his presence. That's why he said, no one comes to the father except through me. Yahuwah did not have to send us a Messiah. He did not have to do that. But you know what? He promised us that he would. And he, he, can't, he can't break his promises. He can't break his word. This is where this divorce, this bill of divorce is going to play a huge role in the next season. And understanding this covenant relationship. He sent Yahusha to his lost sheep and to the Gentiles because he loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that we could be saved. Let's look at another example. In our modern English Bibles, I don't know why I don't know why I exaggerated that. <laughs> um, it says in Psalm chapter three, verse eight, that salvation belongs to the Lord. This is another case in which the Lord, the word Lord, replaced the name Yahuwah. Psalm chapter 3, verse 8 would more accurately be read like this. Salvation belongs to Yahuwah. <laughs> and our own Messiah's name solidifies this verse, since his name means Yahuwah is salvation. I mean, like I said, he told us that the Father sent him in his name. Words matter. And the thing that I've noticed through personal study is that there are many words that have been translated to English and in doing so has completely changed the meaning and implications behind the original Hebrew words being used. And unfortunately, our ancestors have literally created doctrines around a mistranslation and around things that have been perpetuated like in modern Christianity to mean something that they actually absolutely do not mean. And this is something that grieves me so deeply. I, I saw an example that I want to, this is like the perfect quote. I saw it on Facebook, y'all. But it says, it says, 2,000 years from now, people will not understand the difference between a butt dial and a booty call. And this is exactly why the Bible is hard to understand. Because the majority of people, that that might not be the best example, but, you know, like, I, I had to share this because we know right now, modern, the, the age that we live in today, we know that these two, a butt dial and a booty call, they are radically different. Those two things carry two totally separate meanings to us and in our culture in the time period we live in today. 
But if 2,000 years from now, if those words are used slash translated to mean the same thing, wouldn't that wouldn't that gravely affect somebody's understanding of what was the what was originally written if they're unable to distinguish the difference between the two? This is why it is so important to study the original language, the words in which the, they were written in in our scripture through the proper context of we're going to truly understand the scriptures themselves and what the authors were trying to say. Because this is the same thing. Like I said, I'm sorry, this is that was a poor example, but or not a poor example, but a, a uh, not a PG example, I guess. I, I don't know. But we have this is what's happened today. We, we have literally created doctrines around things and teachings to mean something that they're actually not because we don't understand the way that those words were used in the context they were used in during the time that they were written. Many, many of these modern um, New Testaments compared to the ancient Aramaic and Greek texts clearly indicate that there are many quote unquote new ideas out there perpetuated by modern Christianity, which were never a part of the early believers values. Although we think that they were the original values and ideas. We look at Paul, modern Christianity teaches us today that Paul taught and believed and lived his life in a way that the commands were done away with. They teach us that they teach us that Paul never ad- advocated for obedience to the commandments. Everybody talks about obedience. Obedience. Yeah, we're supposed to obey. We're supposed to be obedient. What are we obedient to? That's the question I have. If we are if we are called as salt and light to be witnesses to this world and we are told to be obedient, we need to ha- we need to know what we're being obedient to. Like, because the thing is, is that we we are taught today that that Paul, but like they use Paul's words to teach doctrines that Paul didn't actually teach. Most Christians realize that while they read and study from Bibles that came from Greek and Hebrew text and terminology, very few give thought to what the original words meant and what the intention behind them actually was. Because what we have today, our modern translations today, we have what we have today is a version, a false version of a tra- of another translation. And then on top of that, we had the Roman Catholic Church that took people through a period of about a thousand years where no one was able to have a personal manuscript of scriptures for themselves. I mean, and this is the things that we are going to go through in the next season because this stuff, we have got to uncover our history. I'm, I'm just one single person. I'm just one voice, you all. But And I'm going to do the very best that I can with the grace that I'm given to, to, to share and expose what, you know, what needs to be brought to light. 
And I believe that this is what Yahweh is doing with his children in this season. He is pouring into us and and allowing his children to pour into others. And we are just out here. We're planting seeds, but we are also watering a lot of seeds. And he gives the growth. But anyway, I was talking about like how all these different translations have we've interpreted them to mean something that they actually don't. And I want to give you a pedestal example of this. Um, actually, you know what? I'm just going to give you a couple. I'll give you a couple. So Romans chapter 10, verse four, <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, verse four, it says for Messiah, <laughs> for Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone that believes. Okay. That sounds pretty clear to me. Does that sound clear to you? He's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. I used to read that verse and be like, yup, Paul said it. Christ is the end of the law. So the law no longer applies to me. Most people point to that scripture to indicate that the law is done away with. His commandments are done away with, nailed to the cross. But words matter. So let's examine the word end. Okay. In the Greek concordance, which is G5056, um, the Greek word for end is telos. Now this word can mean two things. It can mean end as in termination of an act or state, but it can also mean goal or outcome. It says to set out for a definite point or goal. So we see translations like the the KJV, the NASB, the CSB. There may be probably more, way more. We see that those translations in particular use the word, the English word, end. We also see this same word, end, Telos used in James chapter 5, verse 11, which is talking about Yahuwah. Now, we know that Yahuwah has not ended. So the proper definition of that verse would be outcome or goal. Because it says in James chapter 5, verse 11 says, we have seen the end of Yahuwah. No, we, we didn't see the end of him. It's But most people know that and, and they understand that you know, we've seen the the goal, the outcome of Yahuwah, that he's of tender mercy. And because it's talking about patience, that, that chapter is talking about his patience and our exhortation for patience. So um, that's James chapter 5, verse 11. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, telos is used speaking about the end of your faith. Okay, meaning, so it says receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So we know that, um, we know that he's not talking about the termination of our faith. Like we know that the end is referring to a goal or an outcome. You receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Okay, that makes sense. Then in First Timothy, um, First Timothy. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, it's speaking about the end, telos, of the commandment is love, as being love. We know that the commandment to love has not ended or terminated. So we know that the definition is more appropriately interpreted as the goal of the commandment is love, right? That, that all makes sense. So Paul is saying in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, that the Messiah is the end of the law. But that, but the thing is, is that that would most appropriately, based on the context of, and that's the thing too, is you, you can't just look at one verse and assume that's what it means because, and it's because Romans chapter 10, verse 4 says, okay, if that's, if we believe that Messiah is the termination of the law, if the end of it. But, but Paul says also in the same letter, do, in Romans chapter 3, verse 31, I'm, this is just one example of many others I could use. It says, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. We establish the law. So if we're saying that Paul is saying in one part of his letter that Messiah is the end of the law, and he's also saying in the same letter that we are supposed to establish law, and he he's like, do we make void the law? And he's like, certainly not. Like, uh, you better not think so. He says, we establish it. So, you know, if, if, so Paul is saying in Romans chapter 10, verse four, in our modern translations, it reads that the Messiah is the end of the law, but that would, based on the other verses that we use to compare this same word, and also taking into consideration the context of Paul's writings, we know that the scriptures don't contradict itself. Paul's not a hypocrite. Um, but that would most appropriately be interpreted as Messiah is the goal of the law for righteousness. And it's like the thing, too, is that the definition of sin means to miss the mark. So if we are to be like the Messiah, we are to aim for he. I mean, I mean, y'all, he came down here to teach us how to do it. He taught us how to walk the Torah out, the, the commandments out. He taught us how to do it. And he said, follow me. So we are to strive to be like him, do what he did and literally follow him. He is the goal. He is the mark we shoot to be like. <laughs> we can't be perfect like him but actually let me take that back because he does say be perfect for i am perfect what i mean by that because because i know that's the first verse that popped in my head so i wanted to rephrase this we are to strive with our entire being to be set apart because he says be i think the word is actually be holy for i am holy and holy just means set apart so by set apart He's telling us to keep his commandments because the commandments are the only thing that sets believers apart from the rest of the world. That's why that's why we really are a peculiar people for keeping his commands and following them as best as we can. We strive. He's the goal. He is the mark we try to be like. And that's why he's the the great high priest and our heavenly intercessor in the courts of heaven because he is the one who 
cleans us up as we, it's his grace that cleans us up as we strive to walk as he walked. Okay. So I just wanted to point that example out and, you know, just, just a couple other things with Paul. Cause like, there's another verse in Romans chapter seven, verse 12, where he, Paul calls the law holy. He calls the commandment holy and just and good. You know, and then here's the other thing too. Let's just use the Messiah's own words for it. If, if we think that Messiah is the end of the law, um, but he said in Matthew chapter five, verse 17, do not think I came to abolish the law. Do not, do not think that I came to bring the law to an end. Then that verse, the verse is not, it's not that words matter. This is why words matter because without, if we don't look up like what the word end means, we wouldn't understand that it it can mean termination, but it also means goal. And based on the context and the person speaking and what they're referring to, we know how to um, interpret it appropriately, you know? So we know that he came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the commandments, but he didn't didn't come to terminate them. He said it himself. Don't think I came to, to do that. He came to magnify it and make it full. So because he was obedient to the law unto death and he said, follow me. Like I said, it only makes sense that he would most definitely be using the word. Paul would be using the word goal, not end, not termination. So. So, and, and, you know, here's the thing too, the word says, his Torah says, the law says, let every matter be established by two or three witnesses. So there's Paul establishing that we, he, he didn't come to terminate the law and we have our Messiah. There's Paul and Messiah. There's two witnesses. And I would challenge anyone who believes that this is a whole nother topic, but since we brought up this, you know, let every matter be established by two or three witnesses. If I, 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 I would be interested in hearing, you know, if, if the commandments, if the Torah, the law, it's all the same word. If those, if they were done away with, if they really were nailed to the cross and Paul is the only witness you have, the word tells us, this is why, this is why his commandments are good. Because his commandments tell us that we should establish every single matter with at least two witnesses. Can anyone find another witness? If let's, let's say that you want to argue the case that Paul preached that the law was ended. Can you find any other witnesses in scripture that establish that matter? I mean, that's another perspective we need to have too. So just throwing that out there because yeah anyway we have to interpret the word based on what the word says because like i've said before scripture interprets itself it harmonizes itself and interpreting the word based on what the word says and digging into you know what these words actually mean that involves a much more careful analysis than most would like to commit to but we have to 
if we're going to know the truth. Another example, and this is, this is an, this is an erroneous mistranslation of the word. Jude, um, there's only one chapter in Jude, but it's verse four. Let me read it. Um, actually, I'm going to read it in the, I have a Christian standard Bible. I'm going to read it in that Bible. And then I'm going to read it in the KJV. Okay, so in the Christian Standard Bible that I have, which I, I don't read anymore, I only use it to compare Scripture. Um, where are you at? Okay, it says, this is the Christian Standard Bible translation. It says, verse 4, it says, For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago, have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Okay. It's the last part that I want to, let me repeat again. They're ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Okay. KJV reads like this. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing because I'm just, it's just that last part of the verse that I'll, I want to compare, but it says, turning the grace of our Elohim, the only sovereign Yahuwah and our master Yahusha Messiah. Wait a minute. Those verses don't even read the same. The earlier KJV says that there are people who have turned the grace of our God into, well, it says lavishness, which, you know, sensuality. Okay. It says denying our only, so let's just, for lack of, but for clarity, I'll just put it in Christian terms. It says denying our, hold on, where am I at? Denying our only Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ. So, what I'm trying to get out here is I found um, another version online called the Hebrew Names Version. So the KJV and the HNNV, the Hebrew Names Version, these two translations clearly distinguish between the two. But in many other versions, many other versions, it leaves out the part about God and just says that people deny Jesus Christ our only Lord. Like, that there's something's missing between these translations because the earlier translation says that they deny our only Lord God and Lord Jesus. They're both lords. They're both masters. They are both like highly sovereign. But in the other versions, it left out half that and said our own denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. That's not how the other versions read. Like I've been saying, Lord is just a title. It just means sovereign or master. It's even used in reference to people. And I don't have time to really get into it right now, but this ambiguity between Lord God and Lord Jesus, 
This goes all the way back to, this is why I talked about this in the beginning, like the first, second century, by replacing these in the translators. Like, so in the, in the earlier translations, it makes sense why they had to take out part of that. Because, oh no, we can't have, we can't have, we can't have it saying Lord God and Lord Jesus because Jesus is God. That would confuse people. So they took it out. And this has led, that that right there has led to so much confusion. And, and it's what has created this Trinity doctrine. That if you don't believe in the Trinity these days, you've denied God and you've denied Jesus. And that's simply not true. The word Trinity didn't even exist until the fourth century. And y'all willing, I'll pa- unpack that at another time. But like I said, I'm not arguing the, the validity of scripture. Okay. I'm arguing the way it has been translated and interpreted and handled to give us meanings that are untrue and unbiblical. It's a manipulation that I'm pointing out of his word. That's why, that's why, you know, one of the last warnings we're given in Revelation is do not add or take away from the, the words of this book. You can apply that to all of scripture, not just Revelation. Because he tells us, do not add or take away. Do not add or take away. And this is just what we've seen happen for many, many years. You know? So I just want to give you one more example. And then I'm just going to wrap this up. But this one's really important too. Um, There are nine verses in the New Testament where it says the word weak. Um, so let me actually read them to you real quick. There's, well, not all of them, but, um, let me just give you an an example. Um, Mark 16, verse two, it says, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they come, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Okay. So that's just one of eight other verses that I've found so far where it says the word weak. But the actual word, if you look up the word weak in the Greek, which is G4521, you find that the word weak is actually the Greek word that they used was sabaton, which means Shabbat. It means Sabbath. And so I'm going to list off these verses. I'll also put them in the podcast episode description. But this is the same case for Mark chapter 16, verse 2, Mark chapter 16, verse 9, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, Luke chapter 18, verse 12, Luke chapter 24, verse 1, John chapter 20, verse 1, John chapter 20, verse 19. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. The, the actual Greek word for weak is evdomada, and it is not found in any of those passages that talk about the disciples meeting on the quote-unquote first day of the week. And the Greek word for day is imera, I think that's how you pronounce it, that word, that word was never in any of the passages either. 
So the words day and week that we see in our scriptures today, those words were never in the original text because you can look it up for yourself and see that like just using Mark chapter 16, verse two, for example, and very early in the morning on the first day of the week that the word it actually is sent what it actually says if you actually look up the words and use the actual greek words that were used it says very early in the morning on the first of shabbat on the first of sabbath i mean the sabbath the sabbath is a controversial topic these days because christians are led to believe that the lord's day is sunday because he rose on the first day of the week like scripture says, but the thing is, you all, scripture never actually said that. Never said first day of the week. Those weren't the words used. And I'm telling you, this is not hidden. You can you can look it up yourself. That's what's so mind-blowing about this, is that the truth is the truth is actually hidden, but it's in plain sight. <laughs> the truth is hidden in plain sight. Like I said, where we see the scripture state the first day of the week would actually be better translated as the first of the Shabbat, Sabbaton, the first of the Sabbath. Because the early apostles were still keeping the Sabbath, even after our Messiah left. So this is just another example of what we taught Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 8, that we talked about in the beginning. The lying pen of the scribes. And we know by studying history that the Roman Catholic Church housed all versions of the Bible and did not allow common people like you and me to have a copy for themselves for a period of about a thousand years. I think that's why it's called the Dark Ages, because people were in the dark. <laughs> that's just my opinion. <laughs> um, but the only reason, just using this same, these nine verses about the Sabbath, for example, the only reason for why they translate the word Sabbaton as weak would be that the Roman Catholic Church, the papacy, was trying to validate their position of changing the Sabbath, which was the last day of the week, to the first day of the week being Sunday, which which is why you go to church on Sundays. That's That was a, actually, they admit that the sun, Sunday Sabbath is their mark of authority. It's their ecclesiastical ecclesiastical mark of authority. They openly admit that they know they changed it. But I think that, you know, most people don't care. They really don't care. And this mistranslation, you all, this has deceived millions of people. And that's what's, what's so wild about it all is that when you actually start unpacking and shining light on that deception, people who are deceived really think that you're the one that's deceived. They And that's why these labels of like Hebrew roots movement and Hebrew, like there's nothing wrong with examining the foundation of your faith. And, you know, you know, this is just where we're at. I just wanted to share a few examples with you guys. I wanted to really just give you more examples and explanations because you need to look this stuff up for yourself. You really do. And, um, that's really, that's all I had for today. If you, if you need any help, um, or if you have any questions, I'm always available for you guys. 
um, please reach out to me if you need anything. And, um, yeah, it's just, this is the end of season three for my podcast and we are starting season four next week and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You guys, um, really looking forward to it. I pray that it opens the door for more conversation and just, you know, more, more unity in the body, more growth, because as we start to unpack the lies and, and come out of this deception, I'm praying that this actually creates a even greater sense of unity among the body. Because the thing is, is that none of us have this thing all figured out, but we are seeking him with all of our heart and all of our strength to, to find, to find him. We literally have to seek him like hidden treasure. And I'm telling you, the more you dig, it is, it is not easy to sit with the the areas, especially by the people that are supposed to be gatekeepers of the truth. But we've actually, they're the same people that have perpetuated the lies, whether they do it knowingly or unknowingly, I don't know. And that's not my call to make, but you know, I forgot where I was going with that, but, uh, yeah, it's just as we, as we start to uncover these things, it is very difficult at first, but the more truth that you, but the more you sit with it and the more you learn and the more you unlearn and strip off the ways of this world and the deceptions of this world, you get closer to the father you get you actually find more joy and more freedom and that's that's what has been hidden from us and and taken from us we've been robbed of that for so long but it's only those who are truly seeking that are going to find it and my i feel that my role in this is not my role is not to like get on here and say i'm the teacher listen to me I'm just trying to share information. That's all I'm trying to do. I am still unlearning. I'm still relearning. And I pray that I continue that for the rest of my life. I want to continue to unlearn these things, the ways of this world and relearn his truth. And this is going to be an ongoing process for all of us. I just want to get us all to the table and say, let's walk this thing out together. Let's seek, let's seek the truth together. That's all I want to do. So with that being said, I, um, I love you guys and I will be back with you all next week. Hope you have a great week and y'all bless.